Has the world gone crazy? Life is difficult. When you need help, where do you turn? Welcome to Christian Impact, impacting your life with spiritual truth. I am Dr. Kelly Blanton, and I'm sharing practical truths in the Bible that can truly change your life. Today is May 10th, and we continue our series, Words for Life. Today's word is troubled. We say Happy Mother's Day. That is a Mother's Day holiday in Mexico. But here in the U.S., our Mother's Day is this Sunday coming up, so we can say an early happy Mother's Day to mothers out there. But today we're talking about troubled. So why don't we cry out to God in crisis circumstances? You know, who do we turn to in moments of trouble, in times of need? You know, the truth of our lives and characters is really made visible in crisis or troubled moments. You know, we were made to have loving relationships. And I taught a lot about that in our series, Chronicles of the Kingdom. You can always go back and listen to those from last year. There were about 52 messages on the kingdom. We talked a lot about our need for loving relationships. And it's in those times of trouble or crisis that we always run to the thing or the ones that we love because we're seeking that security. We're seeking that acceptance. But you see, not all of us have a person that we love. Sometimes we seek out drugs, alcohol. Maybe it's achievements in athletics, academics, or your job. Others turn to sexual behavior, usually immorality, where they just want to have some sort of sexual activity with someone. That's what they they run to. And yes, we often run to people and relationships. The problem with all of those are, is that we perceive that as a source of love, but Most of the time, all those things, yes, even people, legitimate people, your spouse, your parent, uh, a relative, even they can let you down. And it's this tendency that all humans have to try to fix our own problems. But what we don't realize is that really these crisis moments or these troubled times are really an opportunity for us to go deeper in our relationship with God. We need to learn to lean upon Him. It's also in these moments that our character is truly seen. Now, what I mean by that is it's one thing in your character to think that you can run to a spouse or a parent or some other close relative 
And that can be seen as a very moral thing to do. But when we find ourselves turning to other things, sexual behavior that usually becomes deviant, drugs, alcohol, we, we, we're, our character begins to show the deficiencies that is truly there. But let us first look at some scripture. Look at our lectionary readings. We're going to start in Acts chapter 7. We're going to read verses 2 and 3, and then we're going to skip down to verse 51 through 60. So Acts chapter 7, starting in verse 2, says, And he, we're talking about Stephen, said, Brethren and fathers, listen. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia, before he dwelt in Haran. And he said to him, Get out of your country and from your relatives, and come to your land while I will show you. And then it continues at this point all through chapter 6 and most of chapter 7. And this is Stephen, and he's preaching to the Sanhedrin. Now we learn in chapter 6 that Stephen was selected because the apostles, uh, they were having issues with the uh, with the Hellenists and the Jews about distributing food to widows and orphans. And the apostles said, we can't be spending all our time doing this. Um, and so they selected men of faith. To, to take care of this problem. And Stephen was one of those men that was selected. And now he's been brought up on charges of blasphemy. He's taken to the Sanhedrin. And he makes this big speech. So we pick up in chapter 7, verse 51, after he's done this huge message of teaching on the history, verse 51 through 60. Stephen is speaking. He says, You stiff-necked and uncircumcised in hearts and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit, as your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who foretold the coming of the just one, of whom you have now become the betrayers and murderers. You have received the law by the direction of angels and have not kept it. When they heard these things, they were cut to the heart, and they gnashed at him with their teeth. But he, being full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God and said, Look, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. And then they cried out in a loud voice, stopped their ears and ran at him with one accord. And they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And witnesses laid down their clothes at the feet of the young man named Saul. And they stoned Stephen as he was calling on God, saying, Lord Jesus, Receive my spirit. Then he knelt down and cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Now this is the account of the stoning of Stephen, the, the first martyr in the church. I would say that this is a time of trouble. This is a time of crisis. And this is an extreme example but we're looking at this for a reason, for a purpose, because I said your life and your character becomes visible. You know, there's there's a lot of ways we put on masks, we put on, quote, the good face, we smile, we, we try to act a certain way, but that's not really who we are. But in crisis moments, your true character has a way of coming to the surface. And so here's Stephen. I would say at a moment of crisis, he's been brought up and, and falsely charged with things that he didn't do. So he's before a court that's rigged against him. 
and now they're going to kill him in this moment, and he knows that's what they want to do. And he preaches a huge message and sermon to them about their history, where they've come from, why Jesus is the Christ, and he gets to the end, and he doesn't even back down at this point. He tells them they're stiff-necked. It's like saying they're hard-headed. That they're uncircumcised in hearts and ears. Now, to us, we may not understand that, but to the Jews, to be uncircumcised, to be a Gentile, was not a good compliment. That's that's the Jews used to call Gentiles dogs. And Samaritans are dogs. Uh, racial slang. And so, for him to tell the Jews that they were uncircumcised was a huge insult. And he's insulting them because he says, you resist the Holy Spirit, just as your fathers did. And of course, he, he puts all that in the whole message, which I didn't read because we really don't have time to read two whole chapters. Uh, I encourage you, if you don't understand what I'm talking about, go back and read Acts 6 and 7. And he says, which of the prophets did you not persecute? Um, in other words, he's saying you've always wanted to disobey God. You've always wanted to hurt those who follow God. And he says, God's given you mercy. He sent angels to you. He's made you special people. And this is this is what you do. And it says that they were cut to the heart by what he said, because it was true. Everything Stephen said was true. And it made them hate him. He says they gnashed their teeth. They were so mad, they were grinding their teeth at him. And they went to, to stone him. And it's in this moment that Stephen gazes and he sees heaven open. He sees Jesus in that moment. And he he calls out, he gives glory to God. He tells the people there's Jesus. And then he forgives all the people. He asks the Lord not to put this sin of murder on them. Forgive them. Almost like what Jesus did on the cross. Lord, forgive them. Father, forgive them. They do not know what they do. Here's Stephen saying, Lord, Forgive them. Don't charge them with this. Even though what they're doing is is very evil. See, this is the character of Stephen. Stephen loved the people, even to the point of death. He, he gave up his life. See, he trusted God more with his life than what he saw in his circumstances. He was able to see past his outward circumstances to see what heaven held for him, to see Jesus beside him in this moment, to give glory to God in a bad situation and offer up forgiveness. That says a lot about the character of Stephen. Now let's sort of apply this to some of our lives. Let's look at some other scripture. So we can talk about being troubled. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 1-10. through 10. It says, therefore, line aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking, as newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word, that you may grow thereby, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. Coming to him as to a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious, you also as living stones are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Therefore, it is also contained in the scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, 
and he who believes on him will by no means be put to shame. Therefore to you who believe, he is precious, but to those who are disobedient, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling, and a rock of offense. They stumble being disobedient to the word, to which they were also appointed. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who were once not a people, but are now the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. No, Peter is reminding us of the good news. He's encouraging us to live responsibly. You see, it starts off saying, lay aside malice, deceit. As newborn babes, desire pure milk of the word. See, we're to be responsible. We're to put off our old life before we came to Christ. We're we're to get rid of those things and instead crave what God has for us. The same way babies crave the milk from their mother, that's what we should be craving from the word of God. There are many scriptures that say that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. We need to be craving what God has so that we can grow up, so we can be built up, because God's called us to be a special generation. We care about God's character. We should also understand that Anything that comes to Jesus and what he's doing is rejected by the world. I did a lot of teaching about religion in my teaching on the kingdom. And it's that religion that wants to reject, that wants to be offended by Jesus. And we're living in a world right now that wants to be offended and throw a fit about everything. Well, the gospel... God himself is going to be extremely offensive to the world. We're going to have trouble. We're going to have crisis moments. But God's called us to be something special, a generation that carry forth his character. And we see this example in Stephen. And this is what he's calling you and I to. Now let's look at our main scripture. I want to look at is John Chapter 14, verses 1 through 4. It reads, Let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. This is Jesus speaking. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. That where I am, you may be also. And where I go... You know, and the way you know. And Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going and how we can know the way. And Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. And from now on, you know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father and it is sufficient for us. And Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and yet you have not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? 
The words that I speak to you, I do not speak of my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does the, the works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father in me, or else believe me for the sake of the works themselves. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these he will do, because I go to my Father. And whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, that my Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Boy, that's that's one of those passages you just want to look at, really think about, and meditate Let's just get down to the heart of this. Jesus says, don't let your heart be troubled. He gets to the point immediately. See, Jesus understands the trials and the trouble that await his disciples. And not just these 12 that he's speaking to here. This applies to you and me as much as it does to these guys. We are going to have trials. We're going to have tribulations. We're going to have trouble in the world. And he's telling us, don't let your hearts be troubled. Believe me. Believe in me. And he begins to tell you how to overcome your troubles. Are you ready for this? He, he talks to us about eternal perspective. Eternal perspective. We need to see things from a heavenly viewpoint. I teach a lot about this in our discipleship that we do. We have training courses in discipleship. Here, let me do a sales pitch. If you're interested in, in, in this type of discipleship, contact us on our website, christianimpact.net. We do this free of charge. We do this in multiple countries, Mexico, Jamaica, the Caribbean, various states in the U.S. But eternal perspective is how you overcome troubles in your circumstances. We have to, we can't look at the temporary or the temporal, the circumstances with our eyes. We have to see things from God's point of view. This is why he says, in my father's house are mansions. If it was not true, I'm not going to tell you. He's telling you about heaven. He's telling you about eternity. What you understand about your place in eternity, your understanding helps you to overcome troubled times. When you understand the end game, what is at stake? Now, when I say the word end game, all I can think about is the Avengers movie end game. So I'll use that as an illustration because that whole movie was about the fact that Dr. Strange, who used time travel, and he went and he, he, what was the only route they could take to win their fight? It was called Endgame because it was all about making sure the right decisions to get you to that point that everything could be won. I'm not going to explain the movie. Those of you who've seen it, you understand. But we have to understand this. God knows the Endgame. He knows where the victory is, and he is in control of making sure that we all get to that point. We have to know the way. We want to overcome, we need to know the way. The way is not an idea. It's not a plan. It's not a philosophy. 
It's a person. Jesus is the way. Jesus is the truth. Truth, the way, is a person. And you need to know the person. Now, you don't need to know about the person. You need to know the person. I talk a lot about this in Discipleship and Salvation. To be saved, you need to know Jesus. Unfortunately, most people know about Jesus. That's one of my greatest fears for the church in the United States is how many people know about Jesus, but they don't know Jesus. Knowing about Jesus does not save you. You can't stand before the God of the universe on Judgment Day and say, well, I know about your son. I went to Sunday school. I learned all about him. He doesn't know you. He says, depart from me. I don't know you. You need to know Jesus. Like All of us know who the president of the United States is. I'm tripping over my words. Forgive me for that. And I'm not going to mention politics and presidents because people love and hate and they just they fume. I'm not about that, but it's a good example. We all know who the president is, but that doesn't mean you can pick up the phone and call him and say, let's go to lunch. Only those that know him can do that. But knowing about him does not give you that liberty. Now, in this passage, we have a part that I have a hard time even going through talking about sometimes because it gets so emotional for me because I can, I, I can visualize, I can see it so much in my, my heart, in my mind. We see Thomas responds to this knowledge and says, Lord, we don't know where you're going and we don't know the way. You know, this is, this is the quote, doubting Thomas that we've talked about before. Saying, I don't, we don't know the way. You know, tell me. Thomas wants to know, give me the map so I can know the way. Tell me where you're going. I don't, I don't know. And Jesus says, I am the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So Jesus is telling Thomas, I am the way. Now, Thomas was a person that, in one sense, he was told and he really understood and believed this. Jesus said, believe in me. Believe in God. Believe in me. So when Jesus was risen from the dead and Thomas didn't see that, he wasn't there that first time. And so now we call him Downing Thomas. But you see, Thomas was actually taking what happened here and applying it going, well, I won't believe until I see him. Because Thomas believed in him, but he didn't see him. And so he's like, he's the way. And until I see him as the way, I'm not budging. That's our doubting Thomas. But then he brings up no one comes to the father. And Philip jumps in there. And Philip's like, oh, well, show us the father. And that's enough. You see, Philip almost tries to bypass Jesus. Because Jesus is there going, I am the way to the father. You want to get to the father. You want to get to heaven. You want to get to this eternal perspective I'm telling you about, you have to come to me. And Philip just wants to bypass Jesus and go straight to the Father. Well, just just tell us about the Father. Again, this is this religious mindset that goes in about, just tell me the plan. Tell me the plan. Oh, just show me the Father. We can bypass all this stuff. And this is the part that gets to me is that it says that Jesus says to him, and I just get this image of Jesus looking eye to eye. And, and, and in my imagination, I, I see him almost tearing up. 
as he's looking Philip in the eyes. Imagine Jesus looking at you in the eyes and saying these words. Have I been with you so long and you don't know me? Can you hear the impact of this? Philip is saying, show me the Father. And Jesus looks at him in the eye and says, I've been with you all this time and you don't recognize me. It's the Father speaking through the Son to Philip. You see, to speak to the Father, you go through Jesus. To have access to the Father, you go through Jesus. Our access to heaven is through Jesus. You want to know truth? It is in Jesus Christ. This is the way. It's not a philosophy. It's not an idea you have to understand. You have to know Jesus. And in knowing Jesus, you know the Father. Very powerful. So what does this have to do with trouble? If you know Jesus, what sort of trouble can you be in? You see, Jesus gave us examples twice. One of my favorite ones is when he's on the Lake of Galilee in the storm. One time Jesus walks on water and the disciples see him and they're freaking out. They're dying because of the storm. Jesus walks on water. He calls Peter out. Peter walks on the water. But when Peter takes his eyes off of Jesus and he looks at the storm, he sinks. Jesus picks him up. They walk back to the boat and then Jesus rebukes them all for their lack of faith. He speaks to the storm and he, he calms it down. He rebukes them for their faith. And they're, they're sitting there in, in awe of who is this man. Because they're beginning to realize that Jesus is not just a man and not just some prophet. See, in their eyes, the Messiah was just a man. They didn't understand the Messiah was the Godhead. Second person of the Godhead. He's God himself becoming flesh and blood. They didn't understand this. But the way he was acting, they they began to, something is, is different about this person. And he did it again, only this time Jesus was in the boat and he was sleeping in the boat and they're out in, in the water and a storm came and the disciples freak out. Because this time Jesus is in the boat. He's not outside the boat walking on water and passing them by and them having the big scene. And him Now he's in the boat. So again, a storm rages and they're freaking out and they're waking him up like, Master, don't you care? We're about to die. And Jesus calms the sea, and then he rebukes them again for their lack of faith. Because how can they die if he's with them? They should know him and know that he is in control, and he will take care of them. They need to get their eyes off of the circumstance of the situation onto the eternal perspective of being with him. And see, now we're back to Stephen. Stephen is getting stoned. He's got a crowd around him. He's been falsely accused. The judge has given him a bad thing. Now they're out there stoning him. And in this moment, Stephen keeps his eyes on Jesus. He sees the heavens open. He sees that Jesus is with him in the boat of his life. And the character of Stephen, because of this, cries out, "Don't! it's not... Dear God, save me. It's not, dear God, punish these people. In this moment, Stephen gives glory to God and asks him to forgive 
these people for what they're doing. See, Stephen already understands. He trusts his life to God. What can these people do to him? And you see, for you and I to look at the situation, you go, yeah, but they're killing Stephen. If that's our first reaction, we, we have to come clean and understand that we're, we're not believing Jesus. See, we're trusting trying to fix our own lives. We're not trusting Jesus. Because Jesus says, I go to prepare a place for you. Don't you want to receive destiny? Don't you want to receive your place in eternity? Can you not trust him that we're going to fulfill what he's made us to do in this life? And when we fulfilled our calling, he takes us home. See, this isn't our home. He will take us home. And whether that's at the ripe old age of 90 or 100 years old, or we're martyred early, it doesn't matter. He is in control and we're going to a better place. I know people that have loved ones with cancer and they're getting ready to go home with the Lord. And yes, it's sad when you lose a loved one. But they're going home with the Lord. That's what the gospel is all about. If we have trouble understanding that, yes, we should grieve we've lost a loved one we've lost. But if we can't understand, if we can't find comfort in knowing they're in a better place, if we can't find happiness in knowing that they're where we're going to be at some point, and that's a good thing. That's what, then maybe we don't believe the good news. Maybe we don't really know the way. Because if we knew the way, we would celebrate in it. Yes, we should examine ourselves. But we need, in our times of trouble, we need to recognize that Jesus is standing with us. He is with us. Like in Matthew 28, he said he will be with us always to the end of the age. It's not some philosophy or idea or some writing in a book. It is the truth. He is with us. See, Philip, uh, his, his, he was ignorant of the incarnation. He didn't understand that Jesus was God in the flesh. He didn't understand that until he looked him in the eye and said, Can't you see me? Sometimes that's what we need. We need an encounter in the world and in, in the word. We need an encounter with the Lord where he, he shakes us to the core and he goes, can't you see me? I am with you. Cause when we get a hold of this, this revelation, this knowledge, this God is with me. In those moments when things look bleak, when we're going through trials and suddenly we can overcome it because we know. God is with us. God is with us. And in reality, most of the trials we face aren't going to kill us. Most of the trials and the trouble we face are not physically going to kill us. And that God is with us to help us to overcome those moments with joy, with forgiveness, with his character. And when we react poorly in those moments, it reflects. So today, let's put our eyes upon Jesus. Let's trust him with our very lives. Again, he's not a religious idea. If he is, then this message becomes a stumbling block and you stumble over it. 
with yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but, with excuses, because it's just an idea. So ask yourself, how, how do you rely, or what do you rely on in your crisis? Do you rely on your own strength, your own wisdom? Do you find yourself crumbling under pressure? Do you find yourself turning to something other than Jesus? You know, God has a place for you. Let's put our lives in his hands. He's our refuge. He's worthy to be trusted. Father, we thank you for today that you love us. You love us with a love that we cannot even understand. God, I pray right now in Jesus' name that you would touch us, that you would open our eyes to perceive you with us, that we would know you, God, and that when we're in trouble, when we're in crisis, that we will cling to you, God, that we will trust you, God, that your character, your fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, self-control, God, that those things would well up within us, God, and that we would walk with you and trust you with these things. Lord, we thank you for this. In Jesus' name, amen. We thank you for listening for this podcast. As I said, you can always go check out our ministry at www.christianimpact.net. Feel free to drop us a line. You can contact us, ask us questions. And until next time, God bless. (laughs) 